So, with that being said, I actually started recording about two minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be incredible. No, we. Well, I'm hot. So you hot? Come on, baby, hook me up. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Black Codes. My name is Trevor Glenn. I am one piece of the Black Codes puzzle. I'm very excited. We have a special guest today. Um, she is the mother of four children. She is a PhD. EDD. EDD from Trebekah. Yeah, from Trebekah. Yeah, make sure I got that right. Um, she is also the co-founder of the awesome uh, startup Autism Possible. Um, she is a very nurturing, caring, wonderful person. Um, when we got the chance, when I personally got the chance to meet her, it was through an event that she allowed us um, kind of into the space. And I personally think the Black Codes would not be what it is today without the generosity of this person. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce Dr. Teresa Vasquez. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have no audience. <laughs> right, right. We, 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 we pat ourselves on the back. We pat ourselves on the back. It's love. Um, Dr. T, I've had so many, um, I've gotten the opportunity to speak with you so many times, and not only to me, but I feel like you've been a huge mentor to a lot of the people in our group. Um, and you've always been about, I feel like you've always been about reaching out and pulling someone up, um, especially when you, as you continue to climb on your journey, always turning around and helping somebody out. Would you tell us a little bit about your journey and, and really growing up, um, kind of where you came from? Or... <laughs> oh, you want the whole story. You well, want, I mean, whatever. You want the, the dirty, dirty. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I am actually, um, so my dad is uh, from Guatemala. He came here in the 60s. I think it was the 60s. Don't let me age him because he don't ever want anybody to know his age because he looked like he's like 50. You out there, young man. But he came here in the 60s from Guatemala, um, Central America. And um, he came here, he met my mom. So they met in Louisiana. And um, my mom's a Creole woman. So if you do, if you know anything about Creole people, you know we loud and proud like we just are. And uh, they got married and uh, I was born actually in the place on the swamps, is what I call it, Morgan City, Louisiana, which is, if you look at it now, you know, Louisiana is probably one of the poorest states um, in, I guess, the, the country. Um, but Morgan City is just a very depressed place. Um, it's, you know, on the swamps, like I said, I grew up in a trailer. Um, I always tell everybody, I say, you know, it's so crazy because, you know, when you for black for black people, you know, usually we grew up in the hood, we grew up in projects, which yeah. I do have my stint there as well. Uh, but I was when I was a little girl, I grew up in the trailer, and um, I grew up in the trailer and didn't know any better. I just loved life, um, and then my mom died when I was five, yeah. and that was life changing for me because all I had was boys. So now I was being raised by my dad, um, who he he struggled to keep us. You know, my grandmother wanted him to send us to Guatemala to go to boarding school, but he grew up without his dad. So he just refused to, to do that. He how, said, many, how many brothers did you have? Uh, well, I had two. Yeah, two. May as well have been five though, because they were a handful. <laughs> um, I had an older brother um, and a younger brother. And um, 
and I just I became mom. So my mom got sick when I was about four years old. So uh, my great grandmother moved in with us. Abuelita, and she moved in. She uh, a Jamaican woman. Whoo! She don't take no shit. Yeah. That's all I had to say. Uh, she had me at the stove cooking at four years old. Yeah. So that's where my love and passion for cooking comes from. Yes, chef. Okay. Um, I mean, I just love it. I've been cooking ever since I was a little girl, taking care of my brothers. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where that started. Um, and my dad, when my mom was sick, um, couldn't, we lost pretty much everything. And uh, she needed to be in an air conditioned space. And my dad is brilliant. I mean, he's a mechanical engineer. I mean, he is brilliant. Like, I think that's where my love and passion for troubleshooting and coding and solving problems comes from. Because while my uh, abuelita had me in the kitchen cooking eggs and pork chops, you know, he had me under the hood teaching me how to look at an engine, yeah. uh, you know, on a car and like how to change the oil and stuff like that. So like five, six years old, I mean, you think five, six years old, there's no way. Nah, I was up under there. Probably because I was, you know, just intelligent at the age, too, I'll say. Um, but, um, yeah, so he had me learning stuff like taking clocks apart, taking calculators apart, making them work. Um, little projects like that um, just to kind of keep us out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Louisiana, it was kind of easy to get in trouble. <laughs> um, and then he, my mom got sick and she needed air conditioning. He couldn't afford it. So, he decided he was going to go to school and learn air conditioning refrigeration. Okay. So he went to he went to school at night while we were asleep to learn um, how to do that and provide air conditioning for our family. And good thing he did that because when my mom passed and we lost everything, he had to make a choice. And so um, that's how we ended up in New Orleans. So yeah. he he went to the air conditioning refrigeration um, school and met someone and they connected him which is where my passion for networking comes from. Yeah. Because my dad has always said, you know, when you work hard next to somebody, um, that shows like the value that you can bring and like the camaraderie that can kind of take place, um, no matter how your, how good your skills are. When you work next to somebody, when you're shoveling in the same hole, you become appreciative of that person that you're not doing it alone. Yeah. Um, so you start to see the value in that other human being. And so, um, sure, yeah, sure. so he met somebody and they got him a job and we moved to New Orleans. We lived in Ninth Ward for a little while. Yeah. Um, and we went, moved to the West Bank. Some people say, oh, West Bank. But hey, I was happy to be there in the house with no roaches. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, um, no gunshots. Um, and then we moved up here to Tennessee when I was uh, in the eighth grade. Okay. Um, and so that's how I came to Tennessee. And I was really, it. Tennessee is very different from Louisiana. Yeah. Um, Ethnically, culturally, especially back in the 90s, early 90s. I mean, it was just a completely different place. What would you say one of the biggest changes was that you had to adjust to, like, I guess from moving from Louisiana to uh, up here to Tennessee? So for me, I had to adjust to race. Yeah. Because um, my dad's a dark skin. My whole family is pretty much dark skin. I don't know where I come from. Yeah. Um, but I am like, unapologetically black because I grew up as a black woman, as a black girl. And so when I moved to Tennessee, there was this divide, there was this racial divide that was happening. Um, and I didn't really fit on either side, but yet I understood both sides. Yeah. Um, and so it gave me a perspective um, of being alone, yeah. um, which is where I found myself most of my technical journey, which is why 
I am so very um, adamant about including black voices in the tech landscape yeah. um, because I, I, I know that there is a difference between where we are and where we need to be. But somebody has to be in the, in, in the middle of that, no matter how uncomfortable that is, no matter um, all the bullshit I got to put up with. Um, I realize that as a black, light skinned woman, I'm afforded more opportunities than a dark skinned black, black woman. Um, so to me, um, but being unapologetically black, like, you know, people, when they when they see pictures of me and stuff, I think they have this perspective of who I am as a person, um, white people included in that. And then when they meet me, they're like, well, that wasn't what I was expecting, you know, um, because I, I don't know any other way to be. I grew up in black communities, so I don't really know, you know, how to not be myself. Yeah. Um, and I think that's awesome that you carry the culture with you everywhere you oh, go, yeah. because, it, you know, we're able to incorporate and um, share that with, obviously, us um, as the black culture. We're, we're definitely appreciative of it, but any setting that you step foot into, mm -hmm. they they know that they're going to get upfront and blunt Dr. T. Yeah. Like, and I, don't, I don't know any other way to imagine you except for straightforward. But you know, I've never, I've not always been that way. Mm. I have not always been that way. Um, I would say pretty early on because I, after my mom died, um, my life became very unhealthy in the environment I was in. And I don't want to get too deeply into that, but it was just a very unhealthy environment that made me question who I was as a person, not only as a woman of color, but just a person. Yeah. Um, and it made me really start to think about, well, who am I? Like, what do I want to be? Like, what do I want to do? Um, and I got heavily into sports. So I've played sports probably most of my life until now. What you play? Man, I played basketball, soccer, softball. I played women's professional football for many years. Um, in between giving birth, which probably is why my back is jacked <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, I love competition, Yeah. but I love team competition because I feel like football to me is a very like violent sport. That part I liked, okay. but, uh, <laughs> but the thing about it though is, is that I realize and when I, I can appreciate football for the fact of like what it is, right? So like you have your quarterback and you have your running back or your fullback, right? And if the line doesn't defend, doesn't defend a block for them, then they're assed out. Like it's just the way it is. And so as a team, you have to come together and pull together. Even the weakest of you have to pull together and you have to say, I got your back. Um, and that's why I got so heavily into sports is because it didn't matter what color you were, you know, how good or how bad you were when it came, when it comes down to it, when the game is on the line, everybody has to pull together. Yeah. And that's kind of the philosophy that I use in my life every day. Um, every day isn't great. You know, some days I, I, I question why I made the decision that I did. Um, and you know, why I even got into tech, which is a crazy situation and other stuff. I just kind of fell into it. Um, but it's just, it's just one of those things where I know that I have to keep going. Cause now I have a daughter who is a software engineer. Yeah. Um, she's still a baby. Yeah. She's always going to be my baby. <laughs> but I realized when I look at her, the opportunities that she's getting and how wonderful the place that she's employed at is treating her yeah. is because women, like me and black men like me have forged the path so that she can have it the way that she has Absolutely. has it and today's current climate is helping with the progression of that 
if you said something really interesting as far as when you were talking about your upbringing and your father and your mom as far as when your father was, when your mom was working your dad was studying and, and learning um was that engineering my dad my mom was sick yeah, sick and your father mm-hmm. was studying um and I, I can't help but see like the parallels as far as you like definitely um advising and always teaching like continue to educate yourself, continue to learn. And like, even in your life, I know you're a voracious reader. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. so like, that's just, um, can you talk about a bit about like the importance and really it's, uh, sometimes it, for me, it feels like self-explanatory, continue to learn because this world like does not stay the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but just what it means to you to continue to educate yourself, no matter you know who you are, what your age is, that you can, I guess kind of continue to better yourself mm-hmm. and offer something to this world. And see, I think my my reasoning for being an avid reader and constantly learning is actually more selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, when I learn something, it belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody can take it away from me. Um, I can choose to share it with whomever I want to choose it to share it with, which I love to share. Whenever I learn something new, I want to hear <laughs> about it. About it. Um, but it belongs to me. It's my journey. Um, it's my pain. It's my failure. It's my wonderful like epiphanies yeah. um, of things. But it's mostly around who I want to be as a person. Um, and I, I feel like education has helped mold me, not necessarily in how I think, but how I perceive the world. And I think that is the thing that um, us in black America that we have to understand is that education is not for, I mean, it can benefit you in your career um, if you're lucky enough. Cause I have a doctorate and I still struggle to get the positions that I should get. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, if I think about it, I really don't want those positions because I want, I'm a person who likes to be on the ground, boots on the ground. I, I like to get dirty. I like to get my hands dirty. Um, I like to, you know, pull people up from the, ravines or retreats, whatever you call those people, you know, whatever they down and, and, and take them to safety or even have someone kind of guide me yeah. um, in my life. But education gives you the wherewithal to know how to handle specific situations um, for yourself. And I think so often we're looking outside of ourselves for somebody to give us knowledge or to give us something rather than using critical thinking um, or, you know, reading something or looking at something and thinking, how does this apply to me in my life? And how will this apply to the future? Um, and, and that's what education gives you. It affords you the opportunity to take the time to really think about yourself. Now, a lot of people go to school because they think about them checks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They want that piece of paper to get them checks. Yeah. But I would say that that's temporary. Because after you get those checks, you know, we suffer from all kinds of things in the current climate. We suffer from racism, we suffer from sexism, and when you get old enough, you're going to suffer from ageism. And it doesn't matter how much education you have, that ageism is going to sneak up on you the same way sexism or racism is. You can't hide the color of your skin, you can't hide hide your gender unless you're really good at it. Some people have been successful at that. Um, You know, there are certain things that you just cannot hide. But education uh, is the place that kind of gives you that solitude, that ability to go back, that self-actualization is what I'm, what I, what I'm trying to get to. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but basically it starts off with your common needs, like you need food, shelter, safety. And then the next need is like you need this sense of belonging. You need to feel like you're 
you know, a part of a group, you're part of a team. And that's usually where everybody stops. It's like once you have that camaraderie and you feel like you're you're part of something, I'm good here. But there are, I think, three more things on that tier. But self-actualization is the top. And um, it's been said to say, you know, Gandhi had met that, Martin Luther King um, met that, um, James Baldwin met that. You know, there's certain people in our lives who have. And I'm trying to get the self-actualization to a place where it doesn't matter that the world is crumbling around me. I can still do my best to plant the next seed so that something will grow. So that's why I like education. That's why I like that stuff. Because it doesn't matter how much money you got. It matters what's here. So, Man, that is a wonderful thing to aspire for. You know, feel my love. Feel my diary. My journal of self-actualization. Um, yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, I want to look, get get to get Trevor, around to Tim as well. Trevor, look, I'm going to need you to drink with me because I'm over here drinking alone. My, mine was all the way up here. Look, we always have good combo, so <laughs> I make sure I was trying to pick the time. I was like, I can take a sip now. Because you know it's recording, you can end it. stand on my soapbox every time when it comes to tech um, mm -hmm. because it's done so many amazing things in my life from the time I was born even up until now and it'll continue to do those things but um, just to kind of get into what it means for you as far as like I know you're huge on um, as far as building legacy yourself um, so if you could talk about like how tech is helping you build your legacy Ooh. we get a little deep right there <laughs> uh, first of all I want to stop and say how proud I am of y'all for the Black Codes. Like, first of all, <clears throat> Black men don't get the, well, I don't want to say support because Black women, we support our Black men. Sure, um, y'all, but y'all don't get the, I guess I'd just say props. Um, that you deserve when it comes to things where you're stepping out into your community and like making changes in your community. Um, because usually, you know, black women, we are, we are strong, we are powerful, we're loud, you know, we're all of these wonderful things. And sometimes it can drown out the wonderful things that our black men are doing. 
Um, especially somebody like you and Calvin, you know, y'all are kind of behind the scenes kind of guys. Y'all kind of quiet. You, you can even tell about this interview. He gonna have to lower my voice just and raise yours up yeah. because there ain't no way we on the same. We on the same thing, right? Um, but that doesn't mean because I'm louder that I'm more passionate than you. So I, I, I appreciate y'all creating the Black Codes when Calvin reached out to me and asked me if I would join. I was excited because I had actually just started a woman, a Black women in tech group, um, but. Personally, I've always worked with men, um, primarily white men, and I always wondered why there were no black men in tech, <laughs> you know, or at least where I was at. Like, you know, I worked at Meharry, and the IT department, it, it wasn't too many black people, that's where all the white people were, <laughs> they were in tech. You know, I don't say anything bad about that because I love the white, I learned so much from them, um, and that's actually what got me into tech was the cool nature and the giving and the mentorship right. that I got from that environment. Right. Um, actually, the um, vice president of information technology is how I ended up in technology, period. Okay. Um, so, you know, he saw me, I was in human resources dying, like dying human resources, because <laughs> that is not my thing. I am too honest yeah. for human resources. Um, but he saw me there and, you know, he wondered if I was looking for, you know, he was looking for an assistant, wondered if I'd consider it. I took the job, ended up getting into tech, ended up training on technologies, ended up becoming a web developer. So like, that's literally how my journey started with the whole thing. Um, never intended to, didn't have anything but a high school diploma. And that's the beauty I think of tech. When you said it's the equalizer, it absolutely is equalizer. Because the thing of it is, is that some people want legacy quick like how they want fast money you know they, they wanted the easy route but with tech there's nothing easy about tech but the thing about it is if you take the time to learn the opportunities are boundless like there's so many different things um and getting over that fear of failure getting over that fear of when i look around nobody looks like me um getting over that that's the hardest part um i still struggle with that um, and every day, you know, I have to deal with the fact that I am not in a room with people who look like me. Yeah. But I also understand, based on um, how I present myself, will allow more people to enter that room with me at a given time or potentially inhibit it. <laughs> you know, so I have to be, I need to be direct and straightforward and very um, direct with the people whom I work with to say, you know, hey, you know, I am a black woman. I have the ability to do these things. Don't automatically think that I can't, which I still struggle with with the doctorate yeah. in technology. Okay, so 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 all of us are are dealing with this whole racial divide thing. Um, but now I just kind of and you, you said I'm a great software engineer. I I don't feel like that. Yeah. I don't feel like that. I feel like there. I don't feel like anybody can ever be great. And that is what equal. That's what makes us all equal. Nobody can be great. That's comforting. That's very comforting. Nobody can be great. You can you can get good at something, mm -hmm. but as soon as you get good at it, you're obsolete. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? It's a constant learning thing. Now, yeah, there are the foundational things that kind of stay the same. There are the things that we have to learn in order to become really good, solid, foundational software engineers, which that information doesn't change. It's kind of like history, yeah. right? You, you go to history class, you probably... You know, I'm older than you, but you probably learned the same history that I did. Right, right. <laughs> because history doesn't really change. Well, depending on who tells it.
change. So even if, you know, we learn different ways, if you go and look up history now, the historical things, you're going to find the same stuff that I find because history doesn't change. And that's the same thing with software engineering. So the foundational things don't necessarily change. The technologies do. Um, the way that we do things, the innovation, the way that we look at things, those things change, and that's the equalizer. Okay. It's, you know, I guess, allowing your voice to be accepted at the table. And so often, we, as a, as a people, as a black people, we have subsided our voices so much that we don't know when to let it free, when to let it out. Yeah. And I feel like technology is a space, not only because of people who are part of technology, the culture, mm -hmm. um, but also because, like, if you're at a place that wants to silence you, you can find it somewhere else because right. technology is technology. Yeah. Um, it's constantly changing, constantly growing. So, you know, you have to you have to figure out where you fit in. But um, I appreciate you saying that. But um, but I do. I feel like every day I'm a noob. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I like feeling like that. And those it are the, keeps me humble. Those are the people who you want to hang around um, <laughs> for anybody who is entering this space. Like those who feel like I constantly have something to learn and I constantly want to learn. I'm telling you, you will have the best time when you approach this with new eyes and a fresh approach every single day. And technology keeps you young. I know it's, oh, it's yes. done that. It's done that for keeps me. Keeps you sexy too. Yeah. It keeps you sexy. You know what I'm saying? Cheers to that. Yo, listen. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, I I resonate with what you said as far as like when I entered the industry as far as when tech was concerned, everybody was friendly. I remember just being overseas and I already had a previous gig as a cable maintenance installer, and the contractors there, they just pulled me in. It's like, hey, you want to learn about Cisco, you know, network routing? And I was like, like, but like, ain't this. I'm bothering you guys right now. It don't cost nothing to sit down behind me and learn. Like, I'll gladly give this information away. And I think those are the times where you just fall in love with it the most because people are like giving out free information. And especially, in, I feel like our society has always had, like, there, there's a lot of, like, there can only be one mentality. And in this space, it's like, no, we can come up together. Like, I would prefer that we come up together. Um, and that just creates such a beautiful atmosphere um, mm -hmm. for everybody involved, no mm -hmm. matter, you know, race, gender, age, yep. whatever. Like, you can start right now mm -hmm. and still make progress and still put a dent, make a legacy and leave something behind. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's incredible. Well, technology is about being scrappy. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that if you and I are on the same team, and you and I both know this the same thing, they, then when things break, they can call either one of us. Yeah. And I think that's what people in the technology field have learned, the majority of yeah. people have learned. There are still people who want to hold, tech, hold their knowledge close to their chest. There are still people who don't want to share ideas and things of that nature. And that's okay, but that's where the education piece that we were talking about earlier comes in. Because once you start to self-actualize, once you start to see yourself for who you are and don't try to change who you are in order to fit into a circle when you're a square, then you start to see other people for who they are, no matter whether they're racist, sexist, none of that, right? And then you can learn how to, I say, use the word manipulate. I use this actually in classes that I teach too. I have to be very careful with that word because a lot of people say, well, when you say manipulate, then that, that's like a bad thing. But manipulation just means moving things around in order for them to fit, right? Mm -hmm. In order to get them into a place 
that they need to be. When you can understand people, when you can understand where people are coming from, then you're also able to figure out what ways make them feel powerful so that then they can in turn like pull you under their wing the same way that you did there. And some people just naturally gravitate to that's a new person. Yeah. Let me let me teach them what I know because I'm so excited yeah. about what I know. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about tech. It's like, oh shit, I learned something new today. I, mean, I got to tell somebody how smart I am. You know what I mean? And that's how I actually learned all the stuff that I learned in tech, just by being nosy, going down into the to the network administration room and being like, what y'all working on? And they're like, oh, right. look, I just fixed this new thing. And they showed me, you know, all this stuff and... You know, and I just I just took to it. Yeah. Um, of course, things have changed then because the servers were actually in a room yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that time, a room that they had to keep at sixty degrees. So y'all don't know about that. Y'all don't know about that. Um, but but it was but it was still very eye opening and just watching them sit at their computer, and I was thinking, I'm a mom of young kids, one of them with autism. And I need more flexibility in my work schedule. Um, and the VP there at my hearing knew that I needed it as well. And so it was like, okay, well, you know, web developer, you can do that from home. Let's let's get you working from home. So I actually telecommuted for about nine years before I was laid off. So I was laid off from my hearing when I think the recession hit or something like that. And, um, and I was laid off and then that's when I went to NSS to kind of rehone my skills, build my network. See, my intention of going to NSS was different than your typical person. I had been doing development for a while. I knew that my skills need some sharpening because I had been in the same system. We still had, like like I said, tapes I downstairs. Say, what are working with? Yeah, <laughs> tapes downstairs. We were in the 2000s, but we were working in the 60s. We talked about that all the time and laughed about it. I'm right there with you. Military, I feel like it takes, I saw a floppy disk up until... <laughs> I want to say like 2014. Yeah. Like, like, oh no, it's no need, no need to change. Yeah. No to change. yeah. That's what I'm saying. Because that floppy disk contained a whole system now. <laughs> so you better leave that where it's at. Um, and, and I mean, and just this longevity. So, like, you know, back in the day, longevity, retiring from a job, like all those things were the things that you looked for when you got a job. Um, however, I'm just a person that's not really comfortable with that. Like, I'm not a person who wants to be in a place just to be comfortable so that they can pay me the, the, the peanuts that they want to pay me until I'm ready to retire. Um, I know my value, I know my worth, and then the legacy that I want to build for my kids because I don't want my kids to have to work as hard as I did. You know, I started working when I was 15, and I haven't, I'm 42 now. I have not stopped working since. And I have never held less than three dogs. So... <laughs> Even to this day, you know, I still, the, the, you got to hustle. Yeah. You got to hustle because hustling is not just about the money. It's about the network you're building as you hustle. Yeah. And my name is going to bring longevity or our family name is going to bring longevity for my kids yeah. and the people I meet. So then they become the people that they meet. I think it's so important um, as you talk about like your blueprint of what your role as far as building your legacy looks like. Um, I think tech, not maybe not even on purpose, but allows for some type of foresight because tech just it puts us, it forces us to look into the future. Um, and so what that does is like I think even before coronavirus and everything, like if you had talked to anyone in tech, like we had some foresight as far as what we imagined. Even when I was doing my nine to five, I would love the days when I could do remote work, and I was just like. 
you would sit at your desk like, there's no reason that I can't do this every day if I want to, or be flexible with this. And now we're like, it's almost pushed us into this landscape to where like, oh no, yeah, no, we can, we can work from home. I don't see why that's a problem or not. Um, and now you have, you know, those who were, might've been a little further behind, like just seeing it and like having to deal with it. Um, but I think for us, like, we're always in that state of preparedness as far as like we are adaptable um, and shoot, any situation we can we can go in and be all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can't talk about tech enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the things, too, though, is is that as a black community, because, you know, if you get into tech, a lot of us are experiencing the most wealth yeah. that we've ever experienced. Yeah. You know, where you can graduate from high school self-teach or go to a boot camp for six months or a year, have a long boot camp, sorry. I mean, I know they vary. Yeah. Um, and come out of there making seventy-five to $85,000 a year. Tell me again. What are people at the bank? You know, if you know how to negotiate. Yeah. Now, that's another class yeah. Look, that yeah. I get for the Black Coast because yeah. I'm all about money. Don't, yeah. don't, don't get me started on that bag. I feel like everybody should get the bag. But what happens is when we start to make that money as a people, what do we do with that money? Yeah. So when Corona hit, I'm like a, a doomsday pro, okay? Mm-hmm. Actually, you remember Y2K? You probably don't. I think I do. See, that 1999, 2000, we had this Y2K thing happen that said that like either our bank accounts are going to go to zero or we're going to get billions and billions of dollars. I always plan for the worst and hope for the best. So during that time, you know, my husband's a school teacher and I was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, just like we living off $1,800 a month, smooth. Because I come from projects in the hood. I know how to make a dollar out of 15 cents, okay? Um, (laughs) Cooking, all that other stuff like that. So, like, we were living, we weren't living as well as I would have hoped. But, I mean, we were a young couple, you know, trying to make ends meet, two kids. But the autism is what hit us. Because, which is why, I hope you don't mind if I transition into this, which is why Autism Possible is so important. Speak on it. Because those of us who come from underprivileged backgrounds who are just living to make ends meet. When something happens or something, someone is diagnosed who you love. So, okay, let's just put it this way. Let's say you have a, you have kids, right? You don't have kids? I thought you had two kids. Okay. All right. Well, let's say your mom, because everybody loves their mom. Right. Let's say your mama, you, let's say you're making $1,800 a month, which today would mean you are in poverty, probably living on a bridge. But let's say you make $1,800 a month and your mama called you and, and told you that she had cancer. No health insurance, no nothing. What you gonna do? Hurt. I'm praying. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> we praying. Like, um, we gotta find another way to bring some income in. Yeah, we gotta um, find something, right? Yeah. We gotta find a cure. If that means I'm up on Google with a uh, dial-up, because back in the day, you had to... Uh, uh, uh. It wasn't no WebMD back then. No, it wasn't no WebMD. It wasn't none of that. The library had the best system for anything medical research or any kind of research uh, books. Yeah. And that was m- mostly on microfish, mm-hmm. microfilm. You know what I'm talking about, microfilm? Mm-hmm. You know when I say microfilm, what I'm talking about? They're like little Kodak. What's the little Kodak strip? Like the, what they had something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I was told my son was diagnosed with autism, because I knew something wasn't quite right. 
it was either something was wrong with how I was parenting him or like he needed something that I wasn't giving him just from birth. We saw that early on. And um, here we are making $1,800 a month. We could barely pay our rent. And my son is diagnosed and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> like, that's the next thing. Because this is my baby. This yeah. is the son that I've dreamed of since I was 10 years old. This is the part. And, you know, and I'm looking at him and he's a black man. And I'm thinking the black men that I know who grew up, who probably had autism or at the time I didn't, autism wasn't a word that I knew, but who grew up with some kind of mental disability, didn't get treated well anywhere. And I didn't want that same fate for him. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, we make an 18 <laughs> Like we got to do something. Yeah. So I spent all my time at the library. So that's, you know, I've always been a reader since I was a little girl going off into fairy tale land, reading whatever. But my reading changed. I was on that microfilm, going through all them books. Yeah. Me and the librarian were on first name basis. <laughs> she had the books ready for me because she knew when I came in, because I had to bring my kids with me, I couldn't afford a sitter. When I came into the library, I had an hour at the most before Ramel lost his shit. Yeah. So she's like, okay, I've got these books, I got this microfilm, I, I found these articles that I think would be good for you to read. So I started doing my research and I said, how many people are able to do this? Like, the only difference is, is that we actually have an income. What about people who, like, make less than we do? Who make, it, you know, because there are people who make less. Right. What do they do? Like, do they know to go to the library? Do they know to Utilize do whatever with the limited resources that they have? And I found um, Temple Grandin. I don't know if you know about Temple Grandin, but she, there was a book on her. She's like a, a PhD autistic uh woman mm -hmm. and um and i started reading her stuff and i was like wait a minute she sounds like my son yeah. and that's when i was able to put two and two together got him to vanderbilt we got him di like officially diagnosed we got him into some kind of program for programs that i couldn't afford yeah. so i'm thinking how am i supposed to do this so luckily the school system was able to send out some money to kind of help us with all those things but long story short the reality is is that my husband we were a two-family household and luckily for that we were able to do that but really we need a third person you know i don't want to bring nobody else in or nothing like that but we really needed a third person to kind of help with the cooking the cleaning because i was on the internet or doing whatever yeah. um that's full time man that was yeah full time but that got me started thinking how can i help my son like what can i do to help my son and the leafster came out I don't know if you, you probably don't know what Leapster is. Yeah, little yeah. Leapster. And he learned from that pad was the first time we heard him communicate. He learned his ABCs. He was singing with it. He was sounding things out. I was like, what is this magic? Right. And that's where my technology career started. Holy smokes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know what, back to the calculators I built with my dad when he brought them to me or whatever. Although, when he taught me Ohm's Law about how lights move together and how they work in circuitry and stuff, I needed to know what that piece of machinery was, yeah. what kind of magic that was, and why it was helping my son. Yeah. That's how I got into technology. So break it down and build it back yeah. up. Yeah. And so that's what's pushing Autism Possible to this day because I know what it feels like to not be able to give the things that my son needed. And don't make me cry because... And I don't want any other family to feel that because I don't feel like it's fair. Um, I feel like in the black community, 
autism, when you think about the face of autism, you think of little white boys. You don't even think about girls. You think about little white boys. And we, and we fail to realize the things that are impacting the black community are way more. Yes, black lives matter. Absolutely black lives matter. Elijah McCain dying was absolutely unnecessary. Yeah. That mom's nightmare, like that was my nightmare, it became her reality. And at that point, I said, you know what? We can't, we can't do this anymore. We have to give our community access to resources and tools where they are. At that time, I only had dial-up, so I needed something that I could hit with a dial-up connection. Okay. Over 90% of black families and communities in the United States own a cell phone. They might not own a smartphone, but they own a cell phone. So if I can give them access to high and innovative technology through text messaging, guess what else is impossible to do? That's what we're going to do. Because I believe in building our communities up. As soon as we start to embrace neurodiversity and we understand the implications of that, when it, the intersectionality of that between race and disability come together, then we as a people are going to start to rise. Yeah. And so like, we can't move forward unless all of us get to move together. So that's really the focus of Autism Possible. Now, in the, mean, in the meantime, everybody gets to benefit. Because when you, when you focus on the needs of the people who need it the most, everybody benefits from it. That's right. Everybody gets to benefit from it. So I'm going to do what other people have not. We have not focused on our community. We have not focused on the education of our community. We have not focused on the voices, the black voices, the black autistic voices in our community. We have not done any of that work. Um, I have. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody else does, because a lot of people just don't know. So that's why Autism Possible is so important to me. That's why I'm very passionate about it. Um, that's one of the reasons why it stuck with us for so long, because my son is now 19, and we've been doing this for 19 years. Um, and I just don't want any other family to have to go through the things that we went through in order to get to the place that we are today. Yes, I'm very comfortable today. Um, but that's what I want my legacy to be. Um, that's what I want my legacy for my kids to be. And not only that, I want them to see a problem and be able to fit, to go hard on it. So I want to leave them financially stable. I want to give them houses, cars. And some people say I'm spoiling my kids, but they don't know what kind of mama I am. They don't know about that. They ain't been around. Yeah, they don't, they don't know. They don't know that like you can't. You, it requires balance. Yeah. It requires balance. And um, Trinity's in technology. You know, my oldest daughter's in technology. Um, Gabrielle, who is probably one of my most, she's more of a better of an orator and passionate, passionate than I am. I think I look at her and I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a young me. If only, <laughs> if only I had her voice at 16, you know, oh man, I would be, I would be uh, Angela Davis, so I, I would be hanging on my own wall. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I would just be that. Um, but, um, and she's not very, she's not interested in becoming a creator of technology, um, but she's an illustrator. And so I want her to follow that passion. Ramel wants to be a chemical engineer. That's the apple don't fall too far from the tree. Then he got, that's all, my daddy and him 100%. I mean, that boy, you call him down here right now and ask him what the chemical equation for something, honey, he just spits it right out. And I want him to be able to do that with all the passion, all the things. And most black families aren't afforded that because we don't have the same history. We, we start from scratch. Yeah. Most of us are starting from scratch. And so we don't get the ability to dig deep. And that's the problem facing the tech community today is that as black people, we are starting from ground zero. Whereas you got a college education, you have family to back you up. If something breaks and you know you, you have somebody something to fall back on, some, most of us don't have nothing to go back to. Yeah. 
room for mistakes. Yeah, if, if this fails, my kids ain't eating tonight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's literally what you're looking at. And so some of us are afraid to take that jump. The jump is important, the leap is important, as long as you understand that the sacrifice means longevity. And I think that's the thing that we need to understand because in technology, longevity is where we need to go. But it does mean you don't have to bust your ass. Yeah, yeah. And that's all right, especially temporarily so you can, you know, so it pays off in the future, especially when you talk about longevity. Like two years of work, you know, equals, you know, 10 years of like peace of mind and just mm -hmm. chilling and being able to spend time with my family. Like, yeah, I, I do that all day and twice on Sunday. Um, I did want to say, like, now, how do we support, for those of us who want to show our support to Autism Possible Now, like, how do we go about doing that? Where will we go? Um, well, I'm working on, like I said, finishing up the branding and the words for the branding and getting the application done. Um, we are expecting to go in beta in January. Okay. Um, so, I, personally, I would say um, if you want to support Autism Possible is to learn about autism and learn about neurodiversity. And also, like, bring it up at work like why aren't we you know we might look different which kind of might not be the same if you're in a tech company but why aren't we neurodiverse why aren't we diverse in a different way because autistic people bring different strengths to the table and we need to start applying those strengths to the places where we work and so just start to ask questions start to do homework start to do research start to see how autism impacts um black autistic people in the community and start to ask why we have been underrepresented in autism for all this time. And just become a, become a part of the movement because all black lives matter. Yeah. All black lives matter, including those of us with autism. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, Dr. T, I definitely appreciate you opening up your home tours. You always do. And it's always a learning experience and a fun time. Like you're the only one I know, like we can turn up and still be educated at the same time. I was like, we need to bring that as a party or something. <laughs> um, but again, I appreciate you, you know, sitting down and taking the time to um, talk about your story and drop all those gems on us. Um, can you tell people where to follow you and reach you at if they just want to know more about you? Yeah, so LinkedIn, Dr. Teresa Vasquez, uh, I guess Twitter, Dr. Teresa Vasquez, Instagram, Dr. Teresa Vasquez. Um, if you want to follow Autism Possible or Autism Possible at all the handles um, on LinkedIn or company, um, Autism Possible. Um, we have a pitch coming up, which is supposed to be a big thing with the Titans. Hey, and so I'm really excited about that. Kind of scared. Um, <laughs> but just excited about the exposure. So, yeah, just follow us, Dr. Teresa Vasquez or Autism Possible. Yeah, and we'll look forward to that. And you can follow us at the Black Code, the Black dot codes on Instagram, um, the Black Codes on Twitter, the Black Codes on LinkedIn. The black codes on Facebook. Um, there might be some underscores or something. You gotta get that together. This look, is like a look, third look. <laughs> but I definitely know the Instagram is the black dot codes. So yeah, like if you get there, we'll put the links to the other ones in that one. So Calvin, we get it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's a wrap for us. So until then, stick to the code and y'all have a great time. Yes. Peace. Like and subscribe. Oh, like, subscribe. <laughs> oh, That's understood. <laughs> if I put the, the link out, can they go in the outros? Because Trevor couldn't handle his job, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> because by liking and subscribing, you give energy to the black codes, and we need more black developers in the Nashville tech community and all around the world.
Ooh. You see why I got good people yeah. around you to make you better. To make you better. I think we need to you everyone. I know, I just thought about that. I'm like, wait a minute, that's a good one right there. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Yes. You ain't even got nothing in your damn <laughs> 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 I'm 